0: Thank you, Reed. Yeah, I hope you get to talk to them a little bit. They'll be in the back. And we have so valued the the power of prayer, of praying for them. You can imagine as a parent, grandparent, that when you wake up in the morning, you start thinking through different places and where your kids are and praying for them. And it's no different if they're living right here or they're on the other side of the world, that God, God is there and he is with them. That's a great thought, isn't it? Um, and that we can go to him on behalf of our children. Well, if you brought your Bible, your iPhone, iPad, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And whenever I ask someone to open their Bible, they'll either pull out a digital copy or uh, Bible whatever size and turn to a book in the Bible. But we really need to see these, these particular writings as letters. They're letters. It's like you would write a letter to your son or a letter to your daughter, and it would be heartfelt. Paul had an emotional, spiritual, physical relationship in being with these people. Ephesus was on the western side of what is now Turkey. It was a seaport town. He had spent over two years with these people, just pouring his life into them and challenging them, and encouraging them, and teaching them about Christ. And many of these people had come to salvation, and believing in Jesus, and taking initial steps in the Christian faith, and he he was very uh, tied to them. And so, when he would have an opportunity, it's a little different than doing FaceTime today, he, he would take time to write a letter. Now, the advantage is, these letters have been supernaturally preserved for us to be able to read today, to be able to apply, because even though this is almost 2,000 years ago and a different part of the world, in an Eastern culture, the the principles are still real, and they still apply, and that's what's so exciting about being able to read this, and Ephesians is unique in that he's not dealing with a problem. <laughs> A lot of times, Paul be writing to correct a problem, because there's a problem here, a problem there. I know you can't imagine there being a problem in a church, but uh, these these people had problems. And so he would address them. But Ephesians is really written as a reminder. I just want to remind you of certain things. And this is what we had introduced a couple of weeks ago that uh, are so important for us to be reminded of. And, and, and I think that's why... There's such a benefit of meeting together on Sunday or during the week, having coffee, having lunch with another believer, and we need to remind each other of what is true. Because sometimes the way we feel takes us down, doesn't it? And we need to be reminded of things. There are three big reminders. First of all, Paul was saying, remember who you are. Okay, remember who you are. You are adopted into God's family, you are His son. You are His daughter. That's your identity. Sometimes we forget that. Uh, I'll look in the mirror and I'll think, <clears throat> "I'm a loser." <clears throat> Lord reminds me, "No, you're my son, and I love you. You're special to me. We've got to remember that." Secondly, remember what you have. So much of our lives, we feel like I don't have this. I don't have this. I need this. I need this. And and he has told us that you, we are inheriting with Christ everything. We're in his will, so to speak. So it's not just who I am, I'm his son. What I have is a full inheritance. Paul said later, God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And the third thing we need to remember is what we need to do. <laughs> what we need to do. He will show us what we need to do. And that's what I think. Fe- I feel that all of all the letters, Ephesians is the most practical. It's, it's the most right down where the rubber hits the road. And it is helpful for us in the practical everyday life. And, and so chapters four, five, and six really spell out, okay, remember who you are. Remember what you have. Now, this is how you live. This is what you do. We're going to talk through this. And we're going to have conversations with this, and this is how he is just unloading his heart and sharing with them, so the title of our series together we 'll probably go through this eight or eight or so weeks, eight or nine weeks, is so walk and the word "walk is mentioned seven times here, just in Ephesians. Paul uses the word "walk twenty nine times in his other letters, and to walk means it 's how you live it 's like you get up, you walk this is, this is how we live, so walk this is This is the way we walk. And I want you, in the very first verse, he's saying, I want you to walk worthy. Chapter 4, verse 1. I want you to walk worthy. Now, what does that mean? Something that has worth or something that has weight. Worth. Now, we say worship is when we ascribe worth to God, when we recognize the worth to God, When we worship, and I love the the quote that uh, John MacArthur, I've I've used this many times and I I don't get tired of sharing it, is what is worship is when all that I am responds rightly to all that he is. When all that I am responds rightly to all that he is. So the first part of worship is getting a real true picture of who God is. We're awed by that, <clears throat> but then worship is when then I respond by saying yes or amen or affirming that in the way I think, the way I act, and the way I respond. So a worthy, life, a worthy walk, Matt, walk worthy. Live up to what God created you to be, like Christ. When I pray for my own life, I, I do this every morning, I say, Lord, help me to be the man you created me to be. That's kind of the theme of our walking the line men's group is be the man. Be the man God created you to be. It's not easy. Or be the woman that God created you to be and responding to him. So we, we talked about this worthy walk, to walk. And, and the first thing out of the gate that he talked about was unity, unity. Uh, we see uh, all through this, this letter the word one. One, unity, oneness. And a worthy walk is when we have unity with God and with one another. That's got what He wants. He wants the same way He has the Father, the Son, the Spirit, that unity. God wants us to have unity and oneness with Him and fellowship and enjoyment with Him and that same kind of fellowship with one another. Now, unity is not a natural thing. I think we could probably say conflict is. It's just you put a bunch of kids together in a room, and you say, boy, the longer they're in there, the more unified they get. No, that's not, that's not what happens. and It is not what happens with their parents. So unity is important. This morning we're going to move on to the second quality that he speaks about that is necessary for us to, to have a worthy walk, and that is purity. Ephesians 4 and verse 24 And we have this up on the screen here so you can see, and it just kind of sums up the whole message this morning. It says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So the title of our message this morning is so, walk, live your life out in purity. Or we might use the word holiness. Why is that so important? Why is it so important for me to live a holy life, a pure life? Well, one, vertically, God, you know, I look up, God is holy. If I I come to God, I come into holy presence. God does not dwell with sin in his presence. God's a holy God. So if I want to be intimate and close to God and spend time with God, then that is in a holy presence. Horizontally, if I'm going to have unity with one another, with other people or with you, anytime sin comes into to our lives, it is a, is a great disruptor. Now, when I, when I think of holy, if I said, How many of you are holy? I mean, we all kind of feel like, uh, <laughs> Not me. But God makes us holy holy through his son Jesus in three ways. First, he makes us holy by declaring us holy. This is called justification. In other words, it's like the act of a judge saying, you are now holy. And God does that because of the sacrifice of his son on the cross. You may not feel very holy this morning, but when you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your savior, then God judicially, by the payment of His blood, declares you righteous, holy. That is an amazing thing. We call that positional. In other words, this is who I am. I am holy. I don't feel that way, but God says that I am holy. That is my standing as a child of God. Now, that's, that's the, what we call the beginning of salvation, declared judicially holy. At the very end of our lives, when we get to heaven, when we see the Lord, we call this glorification this is when we are free from all sin heaven is a place where there is no sin isn't that gonna be great (laughs) i mean there's no bad days there's not any any unkindness there's not meanness there's not they're not bad words there's no sickness sickness disease or pain and you're not floating around on a white cloud we will be working in heaven it's going to be beautiful it's going to be more spectacular than the garden of eden And we'll have work responsibility, but it's not going to be the kind of work you hate to go into the job. It's going to be the kind of work you love to do. And we're going to have complete fellowship and unity with God. And and without sin, we'll have a new body that doesn't have any pain. Now, those kids in the front row, they don't have a lot of pain. They just kind of dish it out. But for us, you live a while. The longer you live, the more pain you feel. Right? In heaven, no pain. There's no sickness. And we enjoy that state. That's glorification. New body, new place, new heaven, wonderful. Now, the in-between time, the the tween time, okay? I've been justified. God declares me holy. I'm going to be glorified when I get to heaven. But now, we're in the junk. We're in the life. Okay, And when God saved us and, and we received Christ as Savior, he, is, he gave us a new nature. We're new people. We're, he described it as a new creation. But I also have this old nature, this old body. And so every day, there is what we call spiritual warfare. And this is what He is addressing. So to walk in purity, or holiness, with God it's important, with one another it's important, because sin in any relationship, and that's what life is made up of, that, that really matters, relationships, husbands, wives, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, enemies, all of these relationships, sin is the great disruptor, the great divider, the great destroyer, sin robs us of our joy, Of our peace, our contentment, doesn't it? I mean, sin just, it obliterates things. And that's why, in our own lives, for us to flee the sin that would so discourage us and to allow God to work in our hearts. So, we come to this message walk in purity, walk in purity. When God says that to, okay, Matt, walk in purity, I immediately, I'm just telling you how I feel. I feel defeated. I feel like, oh. I get up in the morning. God wants me to walk in purity. And I feel like what Paul said to the Roman church, he said, for I I do not understand what I'm doing (laughs) because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Does that sound sound familiar? Okay, I'm doing what I don't want to do. I don't do what I should be doing. And Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. That's how he says, oh, wretched man that I am. So I think what Paul would say is, if you feel that way, when the Lord says, walk in holiness, walk in purity, because when you do You have a sweet fellowship with me and a sweet fellowship and unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So walk in purity. When you want to hang your head and say, I give up. I, I just can't do it. Paul's going to come back with this. Let's remember a couple things. And that's what I want us this morning to do. Just remember a couple things. First, remember how we used to live. What we were. And... This is found in Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 19. We'll put that up on the screen here too, so you can see. It's probably a little smaller print. I condensed it all on one screen so you can see it. But but this is what we were before Christ. Every one of us, because none of us were born into this world Christians. We became Christians by believing upon Jesus, putting our faith in him. But this is how we were. Remember. Therefore I say and testify this in the Lord, you should no longer, no longer live as the Gentiles live. Now you say, well, who's a Gentile? The application for us today is we were talking, Paul was talking Jews and Gentiles, but people that live without God in any context. In other words, God's not a factor. He's not, these people are without God. He says they live in the futility of their thoughts. They're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts, they become callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Now, that, that's a pretty loaded statement. But just to, to, to quickly break this down, who you were, you were Gentiles. In other words, you were without God. God was not in your thoughts. You no longer live this way, okay? Okay? It's like, I have to remind myself, I am not going to live the way I used to live. I am not going to go back to to what is so natural in my my old way, because God has changed me. And he he describes two things, and I, I kind of break down all the list in there. One, futility of thought, and then they gave them over to promiscuity, which is kind of a big, long word. But first of all, futility of thoughts. They're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. They had ignorance. In other words, they didn't know. They didn't know. And he says, you had hard hearts and they were calloused. Not only were you not thinking right, you were not living right. And that's always going to be, you live out how you think. That's why Paul so focuses on the mind. He's saying, I'm reminding you of these things because right thinking does produce right action. But before, there's no way we could even think right because we didn't know Christ. We didn't know God. We didn't know the truth. We hadn't been taught by these things. So we're not thinking right. And he says, they gave, them overs, gave themselves over to promiscuity, which we probably wouldn't use that with the kids. They just think, That's, what is that? But it is basically the practice of every kind of Impurity. It is the practice of every kind of sin. And that's what we did. That's what we did. With a desire for more and more. And that's the way sin is. It kind of it gets you by the throat, drags you in, rips you up. And by our old nature, that's what we were. We weren't thinking right. We were ignorant. We were calloused. We were hard in our hearts. We continued on sinning. And we desired more and more. And then Jesus changed it all. When he saved us. And when he saved us, here's the second thing we remember. We first remember what we were. Now this is who you are now. Verse 20 says, 20 to 24, it says, But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self or the old nature that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. In other words, put on the new nature, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. So you're different now. This is what you were and this is how you lived. Now, this is who you are, and this is who you are to live. And and I believe this. There needs to be, every day you get up, a reckoning with this. Because if I don't, my my natural old bent is just to go back to the way I used to do it. Get angry, get ticked off, say what I was going to say, not do what I was supposed to do. I just have a natural bent to do that. That's that old nature. But I need to recognize, this is who I am now. I have learned Christ. I have been taught in Christ. Taught in the ways of joy, the ways of peace, and the ways of unity, and the ways of forgiveness. And when you practice these things, God brings not only a joy and a unity and a oneness with the Father, but with one another. So, you are different. You have been taught by him. And it's interesting in how he says, take off your former way of life. And, it, and it, he's really describing this as like you've got a, a coat on. Take off. You, you have to consciously think about what I'm, you're doing. I'm taking this off, and I'm re- reprogramming my mind to think what is true, not what I feel, what is old. I am, I am now renewing my mind. This is what truth does. Truth renews your mind. And then he says, put on the new garment of righteousness. Now, he's, he's speaking in metaphor, which he often does. He's speaking figuratively. But it's kind of like a, a guy that uh, joins the military, you know. And, uh, you know, the first thing they do is they give you a buzz cut and they uh, they'll slap a uniform on you. And then they tell you when you go out into public and you're wearing that uniform, that here's what you do, do and you don't do, right? you got to behave a certain way. Now, as Christians, we don't put on uniforms. I think probably some Christians think you do. Now, Christians dress like this. No, but how we are clothed, how we are clothed is in a love for God. It says the most distinctive characteristic or clothing we wear is love. You're going to see that all through Ephesians what's so magnificent about it. And, and so, now, I was not naturally that way. I did not naturally have that bent. But now, every day, I'm saying, okay, Lord, I'm putting this aside. I recognize that I still walk around in this body. I still walk around in this world. I still have a bent to do evil, to forget you. But I constantly, with your word, renew my mind to think what is true and right, and I put on... Those things, in other words, I embrace those things a part of my life to live and to walk with Jesus Christ. I wish I could say that at the end of the service, everyone who wants to be this new person all the time, come down here and we'll say a blessing and you'll walk out of here and never have a problem with sin again. I wish. But I can tell you, Monday morning's coming. You're going to wake up, you have that old nature, and it's going to want to cuss and swear and kick and fight and be mean and hateful and, and do the wrong things and not forgive people. And you need to put that off. Recognize that's not the new me. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on what he has called you to do. Take off the former way of life. Confess this. And you know, actually, when, when John talks about confess your sins, he's saying just acknowledge this is the reality. Acknowledge it. It is the reality. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Well, Paul's message is talking about you put off the old habits, the old ways, you put on the new habits, the new ways, the new nature. This is daily, a daily process. We could call repentance because if we were to define the word repentance, it means literally a change of mind, a change of mind. And you don't just do that on Sunday. You do that every day. Every day we're confessing our sin. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. I need to put this off. I need to change the way I'm thinking, not be living how I feel, but what I know is true and put on what I know I need to be putting on. And as I do that, then my life becomes unified with God and fellowship and joy and unified with other believers. When I don't do that, there's conflict with God and conflict everywhere I go. Now, the next section we'll get into next Sunday. He begins to deal with specifics. It gets right down to where, I mean, the actual things we're talking about. But before we get to all these specifics, I think we need to to ask ourselves, how willing am I in the general principle to do this every day? Am I willing to make repentance a part of my daily life? Because if I am in Christ and we see... This stuff, 14 times in Ephesians, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, okay? If you're in Christ, I should be like Christ. Worthy walk. If I am in Christ, am I choosing to live that way? Am, am, am I living who I am? The new nature. A daily turning from the old and embracing the new. And if I'm not, when am I going to start? I mean... When am I going to start living the way God created me to live? And this is what Paul is saying, folks, you've probably heard this before. You need to be reminded because some of you still are not making this your practice. And when we do walk worthy in unity, in purity, that's when in the midst of all the chaos and sin of this world, we can have joy and peace and contentment and fellowship and eternal optimism And when the world sees that, they they think, what is that all about? And that's when they come to know Jesus, who's made it possible for us all. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, your word is so glorious, so wonderful. And we're challenged because we get discouraged when we have to keep confessing our sins. We fail so many times. But, Lord, you you tell us you never tire of forgiving. Help us, Lord, to put off and to put on. Help us daily to renew our minds with what is true and be reminded who we are, what we have, and what we're called to do. And my prayer is that we will find the joy of walking worthy before you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.